When you go into what money represents, anything that has ever made you feel unloved, unworthy, unsafe, or powerless. Accidents, eating disorders and illnesses, betrayals, failures, something you've done that you feel shame about and guilt about, put that in there. Anything going on in the world that makes the world feel unfair and unsafe, and it's real stuff. You're not insane, you're not imagining it. Put it in to what is going to be your money monster. And you just go far enough to build a critical mass of ick. Stop the world, I wanna get off. Not so far that you dissociate or re-traumatize yourself. It's not necessary, I promise you. But go deep enough that it feels unbearable. Ah. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome seven hatters. In this episode, we speak with Morgana Ray and dive deep into hats one, three, and seven, the soul, the servant, and the seeker, as we obliterate our money monster and start healing our relationship with money. Morgana Ray is an international number one best-selling author and a 27-year veteran in personal development. Widely regarded as the world's leading authority on transforming relationships with money, Morgana is frequently featured on major television networks, United Press International, Coast to Coast Radio, Yahoo Finance, The Wall Street Journal, and hundreds more. And if that wasn't enough, she was named a top woman in e-commerce by We Magazine. As a thought leader on wealth and relationships, she's been a featured expert on stages with Deepak Chopra, Ariana Huffington, Bob Proctor, and many others. Her fans call her the money goddess, but I call her a shift changer. Morgana is fascinating, funny, spiritual, intelligent, and a great conversationalist. So if you're ready to make money by putting love first, then let's welcome Morgana to the Seven Hats. Morgana, welcome Hi. to the Seven Hats. <laughs> Glad to be here. Well, I'm excited about our chat because it hits home for so many entrepreneurs. You know, today we are talking about relationships, but not in the way everyone is expecting us to. Today, we are speaking about our relationship with money, the good, the bad, the ugly, and we'll probably touch upon some monsters along the way, I'm sure. I had hope money so. issues. I hope so too, right? I've had money issues in the past myself and probably still do. So this is a blessing for me to learn from such a world-renowned expert on the topic. And, you know, by me doing the research, I really understood how many you've helped along the way, from paupers to billionaires. And I can attest that you are the real deal. So I have a true story to share that even surprised me as I was doing my research, but I will share that at the end of the interview. 
Oh, no, I want to know now. (laughs) I know, we all do. What a cliffhanger. (laughs) But it is a fantastic story that validates a lot of cool things. But before we get filthy rich, I'm curious to hear your backstory and how you grew up and the influences that took you on your journey to become a money goddess. So, Morgana, where were you born and how was your childhood like? I was born at the base of the Hollywood Hills in Los Angeles, California, and there was good and there was bad. It was not the like fancy, every house is a million dollar house that it is now. At the time, there were like gunfights in front of our house and I lost my best friend when I was five years old when his father came home drunk and killed his mom and committed suicide and suddenly my friend and his sister disappeared. At the same time, I was living across the street from Gardner Street School, public elementary school that Michael Jackson went to. I don't remember the age difference between us because I grew up on the Michael on the Jackson family cartoons. And he was like one of my earliest crushes. But I had no idea. We might have even been there at the same time. So I, you know, being born in the late 60s had a lot of magic, like the music and the sandalwood and the aunties and their peasant dresses. And and my grandmother created the Renaissance Pleasure Fair. So I grew up in this like magical, make-believe England. And that was the happy part of it. I also have a drug addict, narcissistic, violent mom who is simultaneously a genius and would switch from being the world's greatest mom, like wise, understanding, warm, accepting to needing to destroy me. By the way, for anybody who relates to like ever having any kind of an addict or borderline personality narcissist parent, talk about the world's best training for intuition. Because you Like your whole neurology is so set up for the tiniest micro signal that something's about to flip because it churns on a dime and you just start to know things before they happen. It's a really, you know, for I I would hazard to guess that the majority of healers and empaths and psychics and counselors have a touch of that in, in, in our backstory. Fortunately for me, my parents split when I was really, really young. So when things literally became life-threatening and too dangerous for me to live at my mom's house, I could run away to my dad's house. So parents never, ever, ever stick together for the kids because having having an off-campus parent really saved my life, literally, not hyperbole. Wow. I also had like a catastrophic head injury, car accident, riding my bicycle to school. Not something I would ever, ever recommend to anybody. But while the part of my brain that was the straight A student without effort suddenly didn't work. Wow. And I couldn't remember anything that I had read. I would read a page and I couldn't remember it and I'd fall asleep. And I had to like work around that and compensate. What happened then was my already like pretty high level intuition just sort of exploded to compensate while my other part of the brain took the time it needed 
to recover. So yeah, I can read, I can remember things, I can graduate from college and all that kind of stuff. So that has nothing to do with being a money coach. But the big joke is that money has never been my reason for being. It's never been my top priority or reason I pursue things. I went to an elite East Coast expensive college and got a degree in religion. Like everybody's banging down your door to hire a religion major. My fascination is our relationship with existence. What are we as human beings? What is our role? What is our purpose? What is the nature of the universe, both scientific and metaphysical? How does it all work? And how do we have a better experience in this place that can be really, really painful? That's where I come from. I was the kid who inappropriately was helping adults sort out their lives, <laughs> but doing a really good job at it. So I've been training for this forever. So I ended up with this cosmic joke of a niche, this money niche, because I was so bad at it. Mm. So I could graduate from the fancy college, you know, and accrue at least six bona fide coaching certification. Some of them took years to achieve. I had tons of celebrity clients, mountains of testimonials. I'm really good at, you know, the marketing. And I was even taking a class on overcoming sales objections. And I just wasn't making, this is how bad it was at, you know, 12 step people talk about hitting bottom. Oh, so I'm a walking poster child for you can do absolutely everything you're told to do. Take all the classes, implement everything, do it really, really well. Be the star student, you know, the A student so that you don't get hit by your mom. Have the testimonials, have the results, have the talent. And so freaking what? I was making $100 a month living in Los Angeles. Wow. And even that was looking kind of sketchy. And people wanted to hire me. But I was so uncomfortable taking people's money because I was so, like, I just have such a huge gut reaction. I don't want to hurt anybody. I still don't want to hurt anybody, you know, number one. And, and I felt like taking somebody's money was going to hurt them, and that isn't what I'm here for. Hmm. So love, service, higher values, healing, everything I want in the world on one team, money on the other. And when they're, when they're playing on opposing teams, nobody wins. Yeah. I wasn't able to like anywhere near my potential to help other people. And I also had this like huge shameful secret that I was like living on credit cards. Sure. I could help, you know, first time directors sell their movies for a million dollars and newbie first, you know, beginning actors, get TV series and win awards. And I, you know, I had like a magical touch. So freaking what? I could not make a living. And you, you were talking, be, I think, before we began about your own journey and finding you were kind of the through line to all your problems. Yes. Um, I had like that tipping point moment where I had just taken this class on overcoming sales objections. 
Like that was my Hail Mary. That like every class, every class you take, that's going to solve the problem. And, And I had taken all of them. And I was working with a coach. Like I didn't have money for my rent, but I still was working with a coach and flying out of freaking town to take these in-person classes in Northern California, get more certifications thinking, well, if I only get this skill set, that'll solve it. Didn't matter. So now I'm taking overcoming sales objections, which is the class that gives you the script of the magic words to say if somebody says, I can't afford it or I don't have time. And I was such a good student that seven people in a row, I overcame their objections and they said yes. And seven people in a row didn't show up for their first coaching call or pay me. It's amazing what you're saying right now is... Right. (laughs) I'm I'm just saying what, what you're saying right now is so interesting and will hit home for so many, I think, because the universe has a funny sense of humor. You can go out and literally learn what you need to learn, do what you need to do. But if you have the shadow and blockages inside, none of it will transpire. And you've learned that the hard way. And I've learned that the hard way as well, for sure. Yeah, there's nothing I teach that I haven't lived through and then tested on thousands of people. So you are getting the benefit of decades of testing this on thousands of people. I had my change and my results, and then I had to figure out how to make it work for other people. Yep. So I get stood up that seventh time. And that was like my last gasp of hope. And the thing about money and the reason I focus on money or pretend to focus on money now is because I've been coaching since 1994. Let me tell you, money is the number one excuse human beings give for what we can't have, do or be. Yes. And I haven't just coached people without money. You know, it doesn't change. It changes, but it doesn't as you get more and more and more money because it's really not about money. Yeah, it is. And it's not. Mm -hmm. Money is a symptom of love. Are we loved? It is a symptom of value. Are we valued? Are we worthy? What are we worth? It is a symbol of safety. Do I even have a right to exist if I can't pay hospital bills or housing or food and how people treat me as expendable? It's a it's a symbol of power and powerlessness and all of the worst things we see in the world we can attach to money. Money is completely invented. It's like just a shared imaginary entity that human beings came up with. But what it represents is very, very real. And it is the stuff we struggle with most as human beings. Whether we're conscious of it or not, it is triggering. There was even a scientific study back in 2009 where they, they hooked up all these people to like, you know, all the, all the wires to see the brain activity. And when people were thinking about the people they loved and family gatherings and all, you know, all that yummy, fun, juicy, lovey stuff, all the pleasure centers on the brain and the frontal lobe, the genius zone in the front, all kind of lit up and had a party. 
And then when the topic of money came up, they all shut down. And the, the base of the brain in the back, the reptilian brain part, lit up because that money is a symbol of scarcity and limitation and it drives up our competition. So what I had to do for myself, being way over on the hippie lovey side of the spectrum, is I had to find a way. It wasn't intentional, it was accidental, but I've gotten very, very specific and intentional about how to make it work. But I needed to find a way to get money and love on the same team. So I had this total breakdown, like I hit bottom. That, that seventh person not calling was the last straw. Like I had done everything for a long time. So not only was I not making money, but I was throwing thousands and thousands of dollars at the problem that wasn't being solved. And I had the tagline and I had the logo and I had, and I was speaking publicly and doing the enrollment conversations. I had people who wanted to hire me, but I had superpowers of money repulsion that nobody could overcome. And if I had my own superhero suit, it would have a giant R on the chest for repulsion. And I couldn't figure it out. And it hurt. And, you know, we were talking about the universe a moment ago. I felt hated by the universe, like the unloved red-haired stepchild. I don't know where that red-haired stepchild trope came because I think red hair is beautiful, but I felt like the rejected stepchild. And I didn't like the universe back. And it felt cruel and sadistic that I finally knew what I was here to do, finally. And I was really good at it and better than most of the people I knew, but they were making livings like grownups and I wasn't. So newsflash, I can feel superior and inferior at the same time. So when I got the news, I just dragged the curtain shut in my teeny tiny bedroom and I got on my bed and I screamed Mm. and I screamed and I cried and I wailed because I didn't know what to do anymore. And I just cried and cried myself out. And when I had cried myself out, and by the way, it's like sinking to the bottom of the pool, which is a very useful place to be because there's only one place to go. Mm -hmm. But when I had completely just cried myself out, I got curious about what was inside of me that couldn't be with money because I had the education, I had the certifications, I had the testimonials, I had the beautiful website, the business cards, the brochures, the, you know, taglines, the fans. So what? (laughs) It didn't matter. And I had a call with my coach really soon after. Great guy. Wonderful guy. We got certified at exactly the same time. So he was a peer, but he had it going on And I didn't. And I would take every piece of advice and guidance and coaching he gave me and nothing would happen. And I didn't know why and he didn't know why. But on this next call, when I was, you know, those those rainy clouds and peanuts, (laughs) I was when I was like one of those gray, rainy clouds of misery and despair, he was inspired to ask me this really weird, out-of-left-field question that changed my life forever and set me on this course. Give it to us. Here it comes. Lean in. Drum roll, please. He asked me, 
If your money was a person, who would your money be? And because I was in so much pain at that moment, there was like really no energy for my conscious, rational brain to think about, well, who was, you know, none of that was going on. Instead, just like from my subconscious bubbled up this fully formed, big, scary, dirty, violent biker dude who caused fights and terrified me and was dangerous, like a real mortal threat. And I could feel it with every cell of my being. And until that moment, I never had a clue that I felt that way about money. Why would I? Like, I like to buy things. I like pretty things. I live in LA. Why would I, why would I know that I feel that way? But all of the wounds of feeling rejected and feeling not good enough and, and the family dramas that broke my family apart over money issues and actually things stolen from me by the people I loved most when I was a child. And I made the very healthy, adaptive decision that that was like, that was between the grownups and I would just love everybody, which is a really, really good strategy when you're a kid. But what I didn't know was I was learning that money got in the way of love. So I would choose love and reject money. Didn't know that until this moment where I saw this guy and I had this feeling of like, oh my God, I have to keep maximum distance between myself and this money dude 24-7 as if my life depended on it. So it didn't matter anything I did consciously because subconsciously the whole Protect Morgana system was on high alert to keep distance. And that's 24-7. And it's when you make it a person that the that your subconscious, this is the language of the subconscious where it becomes real. It isn't some masturbatory abstract concept where we can talk about limiting beliefs about money for the next 30 hours. And it'll be fascinating and nothing will change because it'll all be intellectual. And that's not where shit changes. I couldn't hold out any longer. I had I had to swear. I apologize. Oh, I don't you, know you can swear to your swear all you want. All okay. you want. Go ahead. <laughs> Give Fuck that passion yeah. out. Okay. Fuck yeah. Let's go. Let's do all right. it. <laughs> okay. So it just I knew. I knew there was no way that I could have money in my life if it was this guy. There was just there there wasn't even a choice. There was just no way. So I had to get rid of the guy. And that created a new problem. Because this is so interesting is when I got, when I intentionally decided to get rid of the biker, banish him from my life. And I'll, I can go into that deeper later because what I did is not what I recommend now because mm -hmm. I've had the benefit of coaching a lot of people and seeing what works best. But the biker and I broke up. Don't do that. Kill your monster. Really, really, really. <laughs> which is so weird when my audience is like vegan love and light and I'm going more blood. <laughs> but there's a reason for that. Um, <laughs> and I won't watch horror movies or and violence. Ooh, I hate that. But no, really, you want to make it completely, completely gone. So I was really hypersensitive and aware of this like empty space where this relationship had been my whole life that I had never known was there. But as soon as it was gone, it was like, whoa, this feels different. 
And because I didn't know to kill the monster, I was worried it would come back. Or some random monster walking down like the Sunset Strip. Oop, new money monster. I just, you know, <laughs> was like, okay, nature of hers a vacuum must fill vacuum, must have relationship with money because I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and for any of you who have ever been in a really abusive relationship with a boss, with a lover, with a parent, with a sibling, a friend, whatever, the last thing in the world you want is to get into another one of those. So, because the only relationship I had ever known with money was fighting and scarcity and fear and you're not enough and no, you can't have that. I really didn't want to be in that again. It was like being with just a bad, abusive boyfriend who would say, I'm the best you're ever going to get, <laughs> you well, know, as, as he totally trashes you. So it's interesting because while you're speaking, I'm looking into, or at least I'm thinking about your relationship with your mom, the abusive relationship with your mom and how it might've manifested in your relationship with money, the abusive relationship and money potentially. Because that's kind of what you knew as a child, right? It did, but not consciously. My relationship with my mom was front and center years later when I repeated the exact same process on my relationship with love because I was 45 years old and never married, even though I'd been looking since I was four and a half. Mm -hmm. And I could hear myself teaching this thing about money. And I'd say things like, if you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing and you're still not getting the results that you obviously deserve and desire, and it doesn't make sense, you're probably protecting yourself from what you want and you have really good reasons and you have to find out what is behind it. Look under mm -hmm. the hood. What is the danger that you're protecting yourself from because it's real and you can't change it? until you make it safe. Change happens at the speed of safety. So this is how I talk. <laughs> and I hear right. myself saying that and I'm thinking, oh my God, that sounds just like what's going on with me romantically. I've taken every class, every coach. I take these classes and they tell me to do what I'm already doing. And I'm so single and I hate it. <laughs> so I did what I'm teaching you to do with your money monster. I did that with my love monster. And I went through a lifetime of everybody I loved. You claimed to love me, breaking my heart, setting me up so that I felt like I was unlovable and didn't even want to be alive. Wow. Dangerous monster. Clearly, clearly, clearly wanted me dead, but wanted to torture me on the way, which is, by wow. the way, the nature of all monsters, whether it's your money monster, or your love monster, secret, they are the same. And sometimes we call it once or the other. <laughs> and I'll tell you this, and we'll get into that in, in a second. I want to ask you one question, but I will say, spoiler alert, you have conquered both the money monster and the love monster because your husband currently is that knight in shining armor. And what really excited me and I loved so much is the fact that you take your love to the next level. hundred marriages, a hundred countries. You're now at probably 25 or 30. God knows where His you are. His idea. 
Amazing. We're at 26 weddings. We got married in Costa Rica last month after two years of staying home because of the pandemic. But we're 26 weddings deep. We'll be celebrating our eighth wedding anniversary eight years next month, but 26 weddings so far. I met him two months after I slayed my love monster. Amazing. It's so funny that you said my knight in shining armor, because, you know, whenever I'm insecure, let's pull tarot cards, right? Nobody else does that shameful secret. And I kept getting, you know, knights on our, I think it was our ninth wedding was in Slovenia, I think. It's hard, you know, like when you have, it's, I'm not great. When you have a hundred, it's it's hard. Yes. wedding was in Slovenia. (laughs) Right. So this is the cool thing. No, it wasn't Slovenia. It was San Marino. Both are great. San Marino is this little mountaintop republic, the oldest republic in the world, founded in like the 300s, I think, in the middle of Italy. There's this little mountaintop with this little town, which is its own sovereign country. San Marino. So we, they invited us to get married there. They sent my husband an email saying, Hey, we will marry you in a thousand year old tower and it'll be this medieval ritual with costumes. And he was totally going to delete it and pass it on because we had other plans for, for that date. And he read it to me and I'm like, Oh my God, it's my Renaissance fair wedding that I've always wanted since I was two years old. We have to do it. So we did. And surprise at the end of the ceremony. After they married us, which was amazing. And the guy playing my father, we have like this wedding contract. The guy playing my father actually uh, like was in a bodyguard of the Pope. And he's posting on Facebook all the time with all these like big, scary guns. (laughs) Uh, Italian, well, San Marino guy. Uh, After the wedding, because it was all put on by historical cosplayers in the government of San Marino itself. They knighted my husband. My wow. husband is a real knight. He's a, a real cavalero knight. to San Marino. I got my knight. <laughs> Him and Elton John. But it's so Bucket funny. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it's so funny because, you know, your your grandma and the, the whole backstory and it's just it seems like the 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 aspects of your earlier life are just coming to fruition as you continue to take that journey. So one quick question before we get to a couple of questions that I want to ask. So growing up, did you, did you imagine yourself being a coach or a mentor? I mean, you went f- for a religious graduate degree. So how did that, what was your mindset? Like, what did you want to do? Well, first I wanted to be a princess, <laughs> a Disney princess. I wanted to be Emma Peel because I watched the reruns of the Avengers Honestly, if you look at everything I wanted, I just wanted to be loved. I wanted to be a ballerina. I just wanted to be pretty and loved. I wanted to be a movie star, TV star, whatever. Um, Then I went to college. And that was part of it was I was poised to transition into acting like I was getting hit on by talent managers, which is, you know, because it's L.A., uh, when I was a kid and then I had the car accident and I just, my skin was so thin and my memorization was so awful that I just, eh, you know, stopped that trajectory and went off to college and majored in religion and kind of recovered and then came back and acted. And that bleh, did not go as planned, but I discovered coaching through that. I did think in college that I might want to become a rabbi or something. Uh Except I had already had a really bad breakup with God. Mm. 
And when I was 17 and I was suffering from the effects of the traumatic brain injury and a violent drug addict mom and all of the crazy people around her making me afraid to take antidepressants, telling me that I was a drug addict who had never taken drugs. I'm not a drug addict. I understand where they're coming from. By the way, I'm a total fan of the 12-step program. And there's still crazy people, you know, like <laughs> anywhere else. So I had a point where I was suicidal daily for so long because that my head injury had impacted my ability to produce serotonin that I finally decided because it was just so such torture. I was homeless. Mm. I was living on people's floors in their dining rooms just to graduate from high school. And it was embarrassing wow. and it was lonely. God, it was, yeah. Um, and then borrowing cars to get to school just to graduate. I had to fire God. <laughs> and then my life got better, which doesn't mean anybody has to fire God. I just had to develop a different relationship with spirituality. Yeah. Um, I've had a bunch of non-dualistic experiences, so I'm more into, and studying religion was really healing. I really love Buddhism. The thing about acting was acting is all about what are humans, what is their perception of reality, and how are they trying to have a better experience but doing it really, really badly. And there's also yeah. that collaboration, and there's that problem solving, and there's that empathy that's healing. So it was when I discovered coaching, collaboration, problem solving, the human condition, and this redemption over and over and over again. It's the same thing, except I'm supposed to be a coach, not a movie star. I've noticed over the past number of guests that I've interviewed, uh, and myself included, those that had very difficult childhoods usually want to help others because they don't want to, they don't want others to experience what they've experienced, the pain that they've experienced. And so they almost become they almost become servants. I really want to kind of delve into some of the the tactics. Let me move into this direction. As I stated earlier, okay. I've had money issues in the past and I've been studying manifestation and why we humans have so many issues with attracting money. As much as I love the law of attraction movie, I think it's missing some key principles to manifest in this material world. You can't just sit on the couch and pretend to manifest, right? I've come to grips that money issues are often a symptom, like you mentioned earlier, and not the actual problem at hand. And the reality is that we are probably conditioned to have limiting beliefs about money, not only from a young age, which everybody goes back to parents at a young age, but I think maybe you would agree or not, it's in our DNA from generations and generations past. But no matter why we have issues, we'll cover that next it's still a detriment to our lives and it affects our health, relationships, spiritual growth, and so many other aspects of the seven hats. So to start, I do want to go back to the basics for a second, because yes, we have a lot of great ways of curing the problem, but we need to understand what the problem is initially. So money is paper. And for the most part, people don't have relationships with inanimate objects. So where did the term relationship with money come from and what is the context of that, of its usage? Well, great question. Before I answer that, and mm -hmm. then you'll have to remind me if yes. I lose my train no of thought, but you brought up something really, really, really important right off the bat, which is those of us who've been through hard experiences tend to want to help others. Mm -hmm. 
not all, you know, everybody has their trauma response, but I come from the perspective that our victim experiences are sacred Hmm. and completely contrary to like this law of attraction, high vibes only, like fear of low vibration, painful experiences. I, the, you know, the way to enter my process and it's 100% necessary for it to work is you dive in, you dive into the victim experience. I call this alchemy. Alchemy is the transmutation of lead into gold, lead in human experience into spiritual and material gold. The lead is your ticket. You've already paid the price of admission. You've been through the experience. You don't have to keep paying. And you finally get to cash it in and use it. So bravo to you for everything you have survived. And you're going to use it and take it to the bank, really. The thing about money and relationship, I believe that the way humans have relationship is we make everything that we have relationship with, we anthropomorphize it, we give it personhood. You know, we name our people who have boats, name their boats, right? My cats, of which I have way too many, they're people because we know how to relate to people. So when we make money a person, it makes visible what's already there. It's a place to put all of the problems outside of ourselves. This is really, really, really important. It does not serve you to make yourself the bad guy. It's very empowering to see what your responsibility is so that you can respond. Um, a friend of mine likes to say it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. And I love that. Mm, yep. Love so that. there's no blame or shame here, but we don't make you the monster and anything that, but what, but what I do like to do is take the worst thing that you've ever heard about yourself or said about yourself or said to yourself and put it in, put that into the mouth of your monster as if he's whispering in your ear in your own voice, but we are not going to destroy you. And the monster is not your parents, even though your parents may be monstrous, but they gave you life and you are not really going to kill them, please. (laughs) Don't kill your parents. (laughs) What we might do is your monster used them to hurt you. And that makes your monster even bigger. And by the way, the bigger and the badder and the more powerful the monster you have, the better because it creates tension. It's like a slingshot. Alchemy, the first step is the negredio. It is separating the lead from the gold. Otherwise, you just have mud, a little bit of both, and you're stuck. So we're going only for the lead. And the more of it, the better. And so the worse your monster is, it's like a slingshot. It's creating more and more tension to catapult you to where you want to be in a way where it will land and stick. When I guide clients through the process, and we've only been through the first half, the second half will be much, much faster and quicker, I promise. Uh, But so the first step is uncovering the root cause. It's a six-step process. I had to reverse engineer what happened to me through me and then figure out how to make it work for other people. So the first step is uncovering the root cause. Go deep. Go deep. You look at, and it's especially the stuff that doesn't look like it has money. You can start with negative experiences with money. That's a very obvious place to start. Go there. But that's never where I've ever, ever, ever found somebody's monster. It's when you go into what money represents, anything that has ever made you feel unloved, unworthy, unsafe, or powerless, accidents, eating disorders and illnesses, betrayals, failures, 
something you've done that you feel shame about, guilt about, put that in there. Anything going on in the world that makes the world feel unfair and unsafe, and it's real stuff. You're not insane. You're not imagining it. Put it in to what is going to be your money monster. And you just go far enough to build a critical mass of ick. Stop the world. I want to get off. Not so far that you dissociate or re-traumatize yourself. It's not necessary. I promise you. But go deep enough that it feels unbearable. Ah. And then through this like extreme leap of creativity, you imagine there's this imaginary person responsible for all of it. Not you, not your parents. Can it be a public figure who's not in your day-to-day life? Of course. Or it can be something you've never seen before, like my, my biker dude. <laughs> and he's all bad. Occasionally, people get really sneaky monsters who are like, oh, I'm so helpless and vulnerable. Feel sorry for me. Don't. It's a trick. Ah, ah, warning. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a mask keep going until you find something so horrible and real feeling that you just don't want it and everything that you don't want in your life experience that is no longer acceptable to you is in this being and then that step two is personifying it as your money monster and it's not really about money it's about life it's a life monster but there's a purpose for calling it money and your financial situation, whatever drama is going on, will make a lot more sense. Step three is annihilate, obliterate, <laughs> destroy, eradicate, and every other <laughs> every other same word that I can come up with, um, the monster, until there's no tr- energetic trace of it at all. It's very binary. You know, if there's anything left over, no problem. Just get rid of that. Blow up that until it's gone. And it feels different. And it's like, whoa, and you know it. So, oh, back to my story. I got rid of my monster. I had this fear of another monster replacing him. So I had to ask myself, who could I want so much that I'd be willing to have money in my life because this person is so wonderful that I can overlook the unfortunate fact that this person is money so then I can have a relationship with money. Talk about convoluted thinking. But it worked. So I asked myself that question and instant presto, in my mind's eye appeared this tall, dark, handsome, romantic, sweet guy who was in love with me and was like dressed up in a tuxedo and holding a bouquet of red flowers and he wanted to woo me. And I thought, oh my God, this is so weird. In a really good way. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) that money wants to woo me what but he was so cute and so sweet and safe and kind and good and pure and loving because when you destroy the monster and you destroy everything the monster represents all that's left is love Hmm. so this new relationship doesn't feel like money at all this new relationship feels like love and it really is But I call it money because money is an area of life that needs my love and my healing. And I would say that is true for the human species. It's interesting. Let me cut you off for a second. It's interesting you said that because I'm just, when you, I'm thinking back to Eastern philosophy, uh, spirituality, Buddhism is, is an example where they, 
basically claim that if you give everything up that you own, you get to hear God. And you're basically saying that if you give up all of the aspects in your life that are torturing you and hurting you and making noise, you get love. And love is God. Love is the open, one-sided energy force that is non-dualistic, as we experience here on the earth. And that is love. I would say the love is always there, but you can't hear it, feel it, or tune into it because of the noise of the monster. And it's true with God, too. God yeah. is always there, and that you don't always hear Him as well. So, interesting. Well, it's, it's funny because I, I even have a transcript of a coaching session with a woman whose first version of her money, honey, was Jesus. Hmm. So, naturally, I asked, is he sexy? <laughs> and, and there's a reason for that. And no, not really. And she ended up with Antonio Banderas, which worked way, way, way better. Because yes. the reason the lover archetype works so well is because lovers are equal. Mm -hmm. And we aren't training you to be rescued. Because as soon as you want to be rescued, the other becomes a monster again because you've given your power away. Mm -hmm. So when you have equals, lovers and partners, since you have the body, you have the power. When I met my first money, honey, the big surprise for me was, oh my God, I've been the gatekeeper all along and I never knew it. I thought money was the gatekeeper, was the decider in the relationship. It was always me. I was just always pushing it away like it was a monster and breaking his heart. I had the power to break my honey's heart and I didn't want to do that. And I could feel how much he wanted to be with me. And how I didn't have a freaking clue how to allow him to be with me because I had been trained to push him away for so many decades. So since he was a person, I asked and I asked him, what do you need from me so you can stay with me the way you want to? Which, by the way, is not what do you need from me so you can love me? The love is unconditional. Mm -hmm. The presence is not. If you've ever been with somebody who is self-destructing and harming themselves, you know how difficult that is to be around. And that's sort of like what it's like for money, this love being when we are trashing ourselves. It's just very hard for, for them to be around him, her, they, it really doesn't matter. Um, mine's a guy. So I asked him and he, and that was our first conversation. I mean, we have, we still have conversations all the time and the process keeps working. Look, I'm the person who was barely struggling to make $100 a month. I've made millions of dollars since then. I'm just in conversation and it's about the love and the relationship first. The money yes. follows that. Yeah. Some people, you know, refer to their money, honey, as money and the, the dollars, euros, whatever's as cash just to distinguish them. But anyway, so he said, I need you to love me and stop treating me like a monster, which is fair enough. Mm -hmm. So then we made a deal that next time he brought, what would that look like? We had a conversation. Well, how do I do that in real life? And so we made a decision that next time he brought me a gift, which usually looked like somebody wanted to hire me when they would ask me how much I charged, said recoiling in terror and horror, <laughs> ah, like they would, you know, discover this awful, stinking, embarrassing, shameful monster of my fee. Instead, I'd be like, oh, this is what I charge with kind of the energy of isn't he lovable?
And then I just shut up and let grown-ups make their own decision. They don't yep. need to be manipulated. They don't need objections overcome. They don't need, they just need space to know what the best decision is for them. And four people hired me at double what I had ever charged the next day. I love it. I love what she just said. They don't, they, they're, they're adults. If somebody doesn't love you, they don't need to love you. Let them go. You'll find the people that will love you. My clients are easy. I don't need to sell to. I can even try to talk them out of it. And how much somebody can afford is not my business. Yeah. People who, looking at their circumstances, I wouldn't dream of asking them for, you know, to give me a penny, have been able to come up with large amounts of money to work with me. And then they made it back in multiples. Um, and I don't want this to sound like a sales pitch, so I'm going to stop there. Anybody who wants to know what my record is can just go to my website. But I take people based on their energy, their desire, their, their own knowing. And when what they want help with, I know is what I'm really best at. Mm -hmm. That makes it a lot easier for me to, um, I don't know, have a very, very love-centered business with a bunch of clients who I stick around in their lives for decades, like some poor, <laughs> lovelorn <laughs> ex-girlfriend. I, I, I love that. <laughs> you, you know, I have, I, have a, I have a quick question. So yeah. you, said, you, you said earlier that your financial situation reflects your inner relationship with money, but how much does your relationship with yourself you know, we talk about hat number one, self-love, the golden hat. You need that in order for any other hat to manifest itself. So self-love, self-care, how much is that reflected in your relationship with money? And does it, what's the correlation between the two? Oh, ooh, nice question. So at a certain point, they're all different words for the same thing. It's like, Imagine a rotunda with seven doors and they all go into the same room. They're all just pain doors for evolution. And the pain door that people usually come to me for is money, but it's just a pain door mm -hmm. at, for evolution. And, and there is a very strong tendency for like when things improve here, the shift in the person that changes their money relationship is the same shift that, in, that changes their personal relationships because the real shift is their relationship with themselves in life. So mm -hmm. as it relates to self-worth, because, oh my God, like one of the truest and cruelest things that you can ever say to anybody is you should love yourself more because then it becomes another thing too, that we aren't doing well enough that we have to beat ourselves up about. Wow. You can't should yourself into loving yourself. You can't. Uh, but what you can do is when you are in madly in love with this honey because the monster that's been telling you how worthless you are your whole life is dead because you killed it and you chose yourself and said thou shalt die my renaissance fair <laughs> stuff um then you can take a look at yourself through the eyes of the beloved through your money honey's eyes and what that allows you to do is it allows you to see who you really are with all your adorable flaws and foibles and vulnerabilities without your neuroses and negative judgment about it. You can look at yourself with kindness and affection 
When I set fees, it's not, first of all, like we are the worst people in the world to set our own fees because they're either going to be too low because we don't think that we can get more or deserve more or too high because we're compensating for our insecurity and competing with a bunch of assholes who are also compensating for their insecurities. So what I do is I negotiate with my money, honey. I'll set out a number and then my money, honey, will laugh in my face and be deeply insulted. And he'll throw out a number and I'll go, oh no, I could never. And we just go back and forth until we find the sweet spot. Like I love the, that. the lowest he's okay with, the highest I'm okay with. And that's where we go. I, I can't imagine how many listeners are, are speaking with their money, honey, right now and negotiating fees. Like well, literally at this, at this moment. I hope so. But I will say that you have to, the way to the honey is you cannot skip the monster part. It is the portal. Really, really, really. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, I'm going to be really crass here. And you'll never hear another... I hope (laughs) coaches say this, but the bed's not big enough for the three of you. You know, your money monster will cock block your money, honey. You have to get rid of the monster first so that you can have a real connection with the honey. It, It is a magical, mystical, energizing experience. A client of mine who... I've been coaching for quite a while. Like she went with me on my money goddess retreat the last time I did it in Bali in 2019. And she's working with me all this year. And she, on our coaching call yesterday morning, she told me that she had slayed a new monster and had a new honey. And the weirdest stuff happened right after that. So the next day, a guy showed up in her shop who looked just like her new honey. And then problems that were obstacles to a really vast amount of money that's going to be happening in the next month or two. Obstacles just started resolving themselves. People were just volunteering to handle them for her. Problems were solving themselves. I entered that coaching conversation with the inquiry. So how do we make this transition as smooth and successful and easy as possible? And it was already happening because she and her money, honey, were on it before I got on the, on the call. So it still blows my mind when I see what can happen. And I'm not even sharing like the really dramatic stuff like Leslie making $1.2 million that weekend after we dug down for a deeper monster. I mention numbers mostly because if you're going to have a money niche, numbers are like useful yes. and they're good for marketing. <laughs> so while like if anybody has been listening or watching, you've figured out that it's really, really about your life experience. Uh, what's the point of working yourself to misery? Like that's just a very, if no matter how much money you're making, that's just a very high level of poverty, but it really does have very practical, numerical, real world results. So you're saying threesomes don't work. Is that what you're saying? Not in this relationship. <laughs> I'm never one to pass judgment on what consenting adults <laughs> you know, choose in their private so, time. <laughs> so, so since we're talking about relationships, let's talk about trust. You know, for years, I've likened the universe to a living person. I say, hey, universe, every day. And I have a relationship with it. But I realized two things along the way. Firstly, 
that life happens for you and not to you. That's the first thing. And secondly, nothing happens by accident. So I believe that if you trust the universe, things go smoothly. However, as soon as they speak negatively or mistrust the universe, things start happening that are unpleasant. But you speak to the same concept as it relates to money and trust. Tell us about your take on money and trust. I believe that we are not punished for feeling fearful or grieving or depressed, especially over the last two years. Sure. Like I've never lost more loved ones ever than I have in the last two years. And I actually kind of made a decision to just like shut things down and go into a cocoon and sort of winter it out. And then it's, and then I, you know, forgive me, whatever your opinions are on vaccination. When I got my first two jabs, I was like, okay, it's spring. I can, I can like venture out into the world, start holding retreats, start living, you know, and participating mm-hmm. again. And slaying monsters help wake things up and get like really dramatic results. But I also never want anybody to feel afraid or guilty or judgmental about, wow, the world is feeling really unsafe right now. If you are about to be evicted or you're living in your car or you're fleeing Ukraine, you know what? That's real. Yeah. And, and you know, systemic inequality stuff is real. And I think it's way, way more useful and loving to really name and acknowledge and respect what is there. I think one of the reasons I've had so much success as a coach is I am very often the first person in a person's life that they share their deepest, darkest secret. And my response is, oh my God, that's terrible. Mm. It doesn't matter to me whether it's factually true or not. I wasn't there to verify. It doesn't matter. But people need our experiences respected and witnessed mm-hmm. so that we can let go of them. Yep. If, if it's time to let go, maybe, maybe it's not. You know, sometimes I think those, those victim experiences and struggling periods are sort of like pregnancy and it's not fully cooked yet. And there's still, still some treasure that wants to emerge. But it's my experience that as soon as it's delivered its purpose, its gift, its wisdom, its insight, its whatever it is for, its reason to exist is gone. And it has a very strong tendency to just go away. Mm. And that's sort of what I try to do through my process is to obsolete lifelong negative patterns really, really quickly so that they no longer have to hold on and get your attention to deliver their message. The reason the final step, and I really kind of just skated over, just kind of skated over the final step, the sixth step is action, is really important. No matter how happy, glorious you're feeling, and I've had people get phone calls and job offers while, you know, they were still in the middle of the process. Nice. But the reason for action is if you want real tangible physical world results, you want to get it out of the airy-fairy ethers of potentiality and take a physical action. It helps prove to you that the relationship has changed. And also by committing to take an action to your money, honey, whatever it is, 
very often it doesn't look like it has anything to do with money. It might be get a manicure, go dancing, learn French, go to France. You are demonstrating that you are trustworthy. And I cannot stress how huge that is for you to know that you are your word. So the trust is your own trust, trust your yourself, trust not yourself. trust, not trust money or the money, honey, or the, the monster or anybody else. You're trusting yourself, which means that's the attraction to the money. That's is that what all you're there really is. That's all you have any power over anyway mm -hmm. is yourself. And even the entire world around you is filtered in through your own senses. That's all you really have. You are the microcosm of the universe. So yeah. you like one of the really core deepest wounds, you know, when you dig through all the traumas around love and worth and safety and power, you know, is one of the deepest wounds that comes up is, is I'm not good enough. Mm. I'm not worthy. I'm not, and, yeah. and that ties into trustworthy. So what we're doing more than anything in the world is you're repairing your relationship with yourself. And people respond to that because we can like smell with our little spidey senses or whatever, how, you know, who a person is, who they're being much louder than what they say. Yeah. Let me turn it around a little bit. So how do we know that we actually do have a poor and toxic relationship with money? Is it solely the belief that we don't have enough? Because that could be a slippery slope of the ego, as you can imagine, the not enough water well oh, is never I, full, look, right? <laughs> it, it shows up in lots and lots of ways. I Nobody was more surprised than me when I started getting millionaire and multimillionaire clients. And I had billion, to change like my had, language. You've had a billionaire too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll speak about the billionaire very briefly because he started out in poverty mm. and built a crazy, enormous Middle Eastern fortune in real estate. And it was painfully, painfully damaging his relationships with his kids because they were living in the shadow of his accomplishment. And he was afraid that they couldn't live up to the precedent that he set and that was that was really hobbling the kids and it was really hobbling and and he then he felt all this anguish and guilt about that too so that's a way that it can show up but i've also had it really is this is this is an interesting thing because yeah with mega wealthy people you know across all sorts of religious and political and philosophical spectrums but what's fun for me is like i get to meet the real core human being you know, behind all that. Yeah, there's, you know, the wanting to take care of family, wanting to save the world, wanting to not lose what they have through some kind of, through exploiters or crooks or mistakes, you know, wanting, wanting to like have the biggest, longest positive impact legacy. I, I believe that the whole reason and highest purpose of money is to serve love and lifestyle and legacy and be working yourself to death or making a lot of money doing horrible things not good enough you know having money get in the way of love i i had a client many years back who was just looking for her life partner when she came into her wealth, her like live-in boyfriend of 15 years decided, oh, 
never going to work again, and then left her and married somebody else. Mm. And she kept dating these guys who would say, well, I don't know what I can do for you. <laughs> it wasn't until we slayed her monster and she had this new, wonderful, delicious, delightful honey who adored her and shared her values that she manifested the hottest, sweetest, most spiritually enlightened Buddhism professor. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Didn't care yeah. about all that. You know, it's when I talk about money situation, I'm not talking about like how many decimal points or digits are in your bank account. That can be part of it. But yeah. it's fundamentally, it's the anxiety and insecurity. But it's also the unconscious thoughts, right, that create all of this. So my question, you know, in terms of the unconscious thoughts that reside and probably manifest themselves in issues, not just money, but any, all the issues we spoke about, how, the, you know, the problem with unconscious beliefs is that they're unconscious. You know, how do we even know that we have these deep beliefs? And then once we uncover them, how do we deal with them and convert them into the conscious beliefs that we can actually do something about? Well, I wouldn't worry so much about the beliefs because beliefs, beliefs, attitudes, and most of our actions just spring up from our unconscious anyway. We would go insane if we like had to keep track of everything that our unconscious keeps track of. So give yourself a break. Don't. The way to make the unconscious conscious is through symbols. So the great thing about us humans, and, and I am stealing this from Buckminster Fuller. He's dead, so he can't sue me. And I love him. Uh, Buckminster Fuller, the 20th century philosopher, physicist who invented geodesic domes, was like really, truly a great philosopher. And he posited that human beings are at our core, our nature is we are problem solvers. And as soon as we solve one problem, we're looking for a bigger problem, which is why eventually down the road, we're all looking to save the world once we get our own house in order, which is why you want to get your own house in order and be financially stable so that you can now be thinking about love and thinking about health and joy and pleasure and art and creation and making the world better for everybody and solving more and bigger problems. So the way you find, the way you bring it into consciousness, the money monster is never what anybody expects. That's, you know, what's so fun in air quotes, because I don't really find the monster part fun. But it's sort of like my job is to take people farther than they can go themselves. But honestly, you know, my intention is for the majority of people to not need me. And even better, if they have a breakthrough and then they hire me. My, my client Pam did my book. We haven't even talked about my book, Financial Alchemy, 12 Months of Magic and Manifestation. Anyone watching the video, I'm holding it up by my face as if it's a cereal box. because <laughs> And it's on her website. And it's on her website. So she had her first quarter of a million dollar sales month doing the book before she ever hired me. Now she owns a, now she owns a multi-million dollar company. I mean, she's cool beans. Where was I? Yeah. So you asked the questions. Because you have the answer. If you ask the question, you're going to get an answer. What has ever made me feel unloved? Ow, stuff is going to come up. Ooh, you don't yeah. need to get all of it. You just, ah. Uh. What has ever made me feel worthless, unworthy, unvalued? That's like a huge pain mm. point for me. Um, what has made me feel unsafe? Hello, car accident. You know, any of that stuff. What has made me feel powerless if you want to go there? What's going on in the world? that makes the world feel unsafe or unkind. 
How do you know you have a monster? Does the world feel unsafe or unkind? Yeah. I don't insist that everybody has a money monster. I met a multi-billionaire at a, a wedding back in the before times when we gathered in person. And his default, he grew up as an orphan on the streets of Los Angeles. And he's another one who made this vast fortune in real estate. I don't know. Maybe I should get into real estate. Um, and he loves putting together these huge deals. And he loves pouring money into the street kids and orphan associations that helped him when he was one of them. His sore spot is love. I think he's been married three or four times. He takes really, really good care of all of his ex-wives and his kids. But he doesn't even want to deal with another human being. Like after his parents abandoned and betrayed him by dying when he was a child, that's his monster. He didn't ask me to fix it, so I won't. But I could see it. That's, that's where the world is unsafe for him. That's where love is not safe for him, so he holds it at a distance and must do that until it's time, until he decides he doesn't want to. It's amazing. So many gold nuggets in this conversation, and we all thought that the topic is money, but boy, where was everybody surprised to hear that it's really not about money. Money is a, the, uh, the symptom, the external manifestation of taking care of yourself and your own best self and best life. Mm. So let me ask you a question though. Is the work foolproof? Does your shadow, Morgana's shadow, still come up from time to time? Like, oh, do you ever course. deal with your ego telling you that you don't deserve all of the stuff that you created in your life. Oh, yeah, I I I love that. Um I keep a stockpile of testimonials. I mean, what helps is I get emails just about every day mm. from strangers who are sharing their stories and their their miracles and their healing and that helps a lot to remind me. Um going through customer testimonials, being in relationships with past customers helps a lot. And at the end of the day, I am willing to go, oh my gosh, you know what? I've been letting the news cycle really affect me. And I'm not feeling good about the world right now. And I will build up a big old massive monster and slay it and then see who shows up as the honey. And it may be the same one or it may be somebody totally new. And it gives me sort of rocket fuel and enthusiasm and energy and weird things happen like right away when I do that. So I am not trying to sell a silver bullet, do this once and you'll be fixed for life and nothing will ever happen because that's not the game we have in bodysuits. What I want you to have is a tool that mm -hmm. you can bring out and fine tune and get better and better at and get more and more powerful at. My first Money Honey lasted about six years. And then this thing called 2008 happened. Mm. I don't know if anybody remembers the you know, nah, market nah. crashes. <laughs> and how it affected me was suddenly, it wasn't that I lost money. The weirdest thing was I had this intuitive you know, urge to hire a financial planner. So all of my assets were cashed out a week before the crash. Oh, wow. But, so like, I know nothing about investing, but boy, do I have like a good, you know, sense of timing. I, I see patterns, but what really crushed me 
was it was the first time in my life that all these people were reaching out to me in pain and they couldn't even get a credit card. And I grew up in a time where if you had a pulse, every credit card company was begging you to sign up and lose your money to them. And the stories, the injustice and the, the, the danger out there really, really deeply affected me. And I could not like money anymore. I could not mm. trust him. I could not respect him. I, could, I just, I was so mad at him. And the money, honey, that I had had, I no longer trusted. And I had to slay a new monster. And I ended up with a new, more grown up, sexier kind of Clive Owen money, honey. And I made my first six figures like within three months, like in that quick amount of time just based on that. It was time for me to grow. So it was time for my money, honey, to grow. So this is just, all relationships are dynamic. I couldn't marry my husband and say, I love you once. And then, oh, done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, stay in conversation. You can have fights. You can have fights with your money, honey, and then work it out. Or slay a new monster and start over. <laughs> Morgana, remember that story that I was going to tell yeah. earlier? Okay. I'm going to tell the story after my last question. And here's okay. my last question. I like to close out my interviews with the following. Who did you have to stop being? Mm. And who did you need to become to manifest your current success? Mm. God, I love that. I could, I could take forever on that. So it was like I had to become the... When I first started taking coaching training and I got my first certification with the coaches training institute which is the oldest coaches training school because I'm a dinosaur I'm an old timer and they were asking what they wanted to see more of me they wanted to see more of a uh, Jedi princess and I didn't know what the fuck they meant by that but that's who I had to become so there's this sort of ruthless magical meanness me-ness that had to come forth with a lot more courage and a lot more self-respect. I don't know that I had to not be because I think that the room is big enough for all of my little bits, but I had to give my needy, love me, the fat girl that all the kids rejected self. Mm. I needed to give her a break or a different role. Love that. So she's the part of me who loves the other outcasts and weirdos and who has a really huge capacity for compassion for other people's pain. But she also can't be the one who, Miss Low Self-Esteem can't be the, the aspect of me that defines me. She just needs, you know, she just was given a different job. Wow, that's beautiful. So here's my story. Thank you for sharing. That was lovely. So here's my story. I'm researching you for the interview, and I usually spend a few hours in research, and I'm learning a lot, as you can imagine. And while learning, I get a client for my business. And then a couple of hours later, I get another client for my business. And the next day, I get a client for my business. Okay. So I just want you to know, coincidence, coincidence, maybe, maybe the fuck not. I don't know, but I I'm just sharing. I am the queen of coincidence. Very good. Oh my God, I love that. 
All right. So you have that on, there's your testimonial on the seven hats. Morgana, I can speak with you for another five weeks straight because I literally had more questions, but I just can't take the audience on a five-hour podcast like Joe Rogan. So we might have you back because there's so many cool things that I wanted to ask about parents and about different traumas. And there's so many ways to go about it. But for now, where could the Seven Hatters find you? I know you have a book. I know you have courses. I know you have a website. Give them the path to get to know Morgana. Best place to go. Best place to go. The mothership is MorganaRay.com. Just look at the way my name is spelled on the screen. M is in Mary, O-R-G is in Georgia, A, N is Nancy, A, R-A-E dot com. And my book is there. My four-part money magnetic video series is there. Be sure to do my money love quiz. Uh, you can find it on the homepage of my website, or you can go to doesmoneyloveyou.com, and I will make recommendations based on where you are in your journey. It's it's so easy and pain-free. Nobody is wrong. It's just like, oh, maybe maybe this is the best place for you to, the easiest place to start for you. And I always include free resources. And I've got like hundreds of videos and articles on the blog, but I would recommend that you start with the video series and the quiz because they're more curated. (laughs) (laughs) And that, and if you want coaching, that's the place to find me. Boys, men, cover your ears because my Money Goddess Retreat is happening in, in June 2022. It's only six women. It's where I get like I spend the most time with each person and it's the best value and, and it's only open to women and uh, that's coming soon. You can apply there, but you know, go at your own pace. Just start with the free stuff, start with the quiz and, and be my next Yuval. Am I saying your name correctly? Perfectly. Yes. (laughs) And then send me emails and let me know because I totally get off on that stuff. Tell me what happened. Morgana. Thanks. And a real pleasure. And thank you so much for gracing us on The Seven Hats, one of my most memorable conversations. I thoroughly enjoyed it. You are a hoot and a lovely, wonderful person. And I know that the audience, the listeners, The Seven Hatters are just going to love you and connect with you. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Morgana. Let's end today with the segment of the show that I refer to as, what can we hang our hat on? And here's my takeaway. Throughout the interview, Morgana referenced the money monster and the money honey, two critical entities that need to be addressed for money and love to manifest and flow in your direction. Morgana also spoke in great detail on hat number one, the soul. And in one segment, she said, and I quote, you can't should yourself into loving yourself. But what you can do is when you are madly in love with this honey, because the monster that's been telling you how worthless you are your whole life is dead because you killed it and you chose yourself and said, thou shall die. Then you can take a look at yourself through the eyes of the beloved, through your money honey's eyes. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to see who you really are with all your adorable flaws and foibles and vulnerabilities without your neurosis and negative judgment about it. You can look at yourself with kindness and affection. Now that's not only powerful, 
but a huge aha moment for me. You see, the money monster and the money honey do not exist in your outer world. They are the personification of your ego and soul and live within you. In order to attract money, love, whatever, you must shed or destroy your ego. The entity telling you that you're worthless or not good enough for the riches of this world. You must destroy the monster within. And then only then can you build a relationship with your soul, your money honey, or love honey, or whatever honey. And then you will attract all the greatness that you need to experience in this world and on your journey. The spiritual text will tell you that the world around you is purely a reflection of who you are inside. Low vibrational thinking begets low vibrational experiences and vice versa. So make sure to kill your monster and start that lifelong romance with your inner honey, fill in the blank. I want to thank Morgana once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from her wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you receive from it so that we can attract even more high quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.